When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. This podcast is part of the Robots Radio Rocket Club, a program designed to help all podcasts reach their full potential. For information about joining the Robots Radio Rocket Club, check out robotsradio.net. Hey all you heroes and champions, crows, pirates, and inquisitors. Welcome to the Dragon Age Lorecast. I'm Shelby. And I'm Austin. And we are so excited to bring you this podcast. Every episode, we'll be talking about a different topic in the Dragon Age universe. From the Maker to Lyrium to Aravels, we will cover it all. There will be spoilers. And always remember, swooping is bad. Hello and welcome to the Dragon Age Lorecast, where we talk about all things Dragon Age and in regarding to its lore. I am one of your hosts here, Teacup or Austin, and I am excited to be here and I'm here with my other co-host. Yeah, I'm Shelby or Sheacup. I'm the lore person and I'm excited to talk about demons and continue our season three. You know, the Chantry says even if you talk about them, they're going to come and possess you. I don't, I think that's Harry Potter. I think you're talking about Voldemort. I mean, I'm pretty sure that there are probably some Chantry people who believe that. No, that's probably fair. But who knows? Anyway, so what are we talking about today? Well, you know, last week we introduced spirits and demons and all that. So today we're going to dive into a couple different types of demons. What makes them tick? How powerful they are? Where we've seen them? That kind of stuff. Yeah, so just for in case someone's uh, jumping around or episodes or didn't listen to last week's episode, do you want to give us a kind of like review on what exactly a demon is? Yes. So before I do that, last week I asked you what you would do if I told you that I didn't have any fun facts. Well, today I don't have any fun facts. Well, I don't think demons really warrant fun facts. (laughs) Um, yeah, I get that. So I thought today we could start with kind of a broad overview. And um, I actually am going to start by reading from the Codex. This is from the Demonic Possession Codex. So to give you a little bit of explanation and context of this specific Codex entry, this specific Codex entry is an excerpt from a book titled The Maker's First Children, written by Bader, who was the senior enchanter of Ostwick uh, during 812 Blessed. So like an age and a half ago. But in the codex, he specifically quotes um, and mentions another kind of scholar 
of the lore, whose name was Brom. And Brom lived in the Towers Age and is kind of the one that comes up with this like power scale of demons that we talked about last week. So that's all background information. Now I'm going to read from the text. Quote, According to Brahm, the weakest and most common of demons are those of rage. They are the least intelligent and most prone to violent outbursts against the living. They expend their energies quickly, the most powerful of them exhibiting great strength and occasionally the ability to generate fire. Next are the demons of hunger. In a living host, they become cannibals and vampires, and within the dead, they feed upon the living. Theirs are the power of draining, both of life force and of mana. Next are the demons of sloth, the first on Brahms' scale that are capable of true intelligence. In its true form, this demon is known as a shade, a thing which is nearly indistinct and invisible, for such is sloth's nature. It hides and stalks unaware, and when confronted, it sows fatigue and apathy. Demons of desire are amongst the most powerful and are the ones most likely to seek out the living and actively trick them into a deal. These demons will exploit anything that can be coveted, wealth, power, lust, and they always end up getting far more than they give. A desire demon's province is that of illusions and mind control. And strongest of all demons are those of pride. These are the most feared creatures to loose upon the world. Masters of magic and in possession of vast intellect, they are the true schemers. It is they, pride demons, who seek most strongly to possess mages and will bring other demons across the veil in numbers to achieve their own ends, although what that might be has never been discovered. A greater pride demon brought across the veil would threaten the entire world. And just, that's the end quote. And just to refresh, that is from the Codex Demonic Possession. And I wanted to read from that because it kind of gives you the ranking. So rage are the least powerful all the way up to pride being the most powerful. And it also gives us a little bit of information about each of those different kinds. I am so interested okay. in this greater pride demon would threaten the whole world. Okay. Because what does solace mean in Elvish? Well, it's Elvin, first of all. Elvin. I mean, he his name does mean pride. That's true. But are you are you asserting that Solus is a demon? No. But maybe this is a hint. I know in Bioware sometimes has said like we're not as smart as like you theorize we are. Sometimes like they've said that in response to like the indoctrination theory and Mass Effect and other things. And so I'm probably going into way too many details that the writers might not even be thinking about but maybe it's a whole thing of like you know the formless one and we'll get into more about the forbidden ones and i'm probably going to be talking about the forbidden ones for the whole season you're welcome but what if the formless one is this like super pride demon which you know when we see these drawings of the wolf fought the dread wolf finharel thing they have the same eye structure as the pride demons Yes, very much so. And, 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 and 
this goes back to my color theory from our the Dread Wolf release. What color are Pride Demons? Purple. What color is the Dread Wolf logo? Purple. That's the same color, people. Cue the gift. Coincidence? I think not. No, but seriously, I am not a believer in coincidences. Like, I just don't believe they exist, especially in video game development when it comes to Bioware. And also, like, so much of, like, the colors of Dragon Age play into, like, the theme of the game. And, like, even though both Dragon Age Origins and 2 are red, they're different reds. Like, the Dragon Age Origins red is very much the, like, grime of war and the kind of, like, dark spawn tent and everything to do with that. Whereas the Dragon Age 2 red, I more associate with blood magic. Well, that's interesting. I I associate the Dragon Age 2 red with more like red and gold. So, and the reason why I do that is because I associate it with like royalty, power, rulers, not even just like a royal family, but there's so much in Dragon Age 2 about who is in control, who is in power, who is ruling, whether it's the Arashok or Meredith or the Viscount or Hawk or none of them or all of them or whatever, that game is really about who's in power. And Inquisition's color is obviously green after the, the breach and the anchor and all, all of the things. And so it seems like Dread Wolf's color is going to be purple. And we know that these things are not meaningless, um, that they do have meaning. And so I'm sure that the color purple will be reflected thematically and will be important too. Yeah, 100%. So anyway, enough about that theorizing. Let's get back to the topic again. Yeah, so do you have other thoughts about this codex entry? Again, I just think it's interesting. I go back to a lot of times, like, you know, stage theory in psychology, like different theories that have stages are often criticized because you can be at more than one stage at a time or you can be at this stage in this aspect, but then at a later stage in another aspect. And I think that's kind of how I feel about the hierarchy of demons in that like their power is more contextual than this theory probably allows for. Why so? Well, for one, the nightmare is a fear demon, which isn't included in the hierarchy at all. Yeah. Um, and then just that from the game, from a gameplay mechanic, like there are several rage demons that are not fun in Inquisition and the game. Um, And I feel like this this doesn't even account for Revenants and the other one. Arcane Horrors. Arcane Horrors. Which I know- They're not technically demons. I don't know. Well, they're undead, which are demonic possessed corpse corpses right which i didn't know before last week i just refer to them as fade creatures so i guess i just think about like yeah pride i do agree that like pride demons are uh extremely powerful and that pride is probably a very powerful emotion that all beings experience but i just think that it's more contextual like i think that in a right instance a rage demon around like a place of great rage 
would be stronger than say a desire demon. Yeah. I mean, I don't necessarily disagree with that, but we've never seen an example of it. So my answer, I guess would be, it's definitely possible, but I do think, I do think there in, in this codex, there are, there are in, there's information about each of the different kinds of demons that we've haven't really experienced before, like, or at least gotten like a definitive, yes, this is, this is it in plain text. Like for example, desire demons always end up getting more than they give. That is a perfect little description of a desire demon that I'd never thought about in that way. And then the, the idea that a shade is just a demon in its true form and the sloth demon is the closest thing to that. That is so interesting to me. And of course it would be because why would a sloth want to change its appearance when it's a sloth demon, you know? Right, which we do see a sloth demon that is capable of changing its appearance. And they certainly are because all fade creatures are capable of yeah. shape change. Yeah, it's just that's not in their nature. Mm -hmm. So unless you have other thoughts about the codex, let's move on to talk about sloth demons. So sloth demons are probably the first demon you ever meet in the game, um, at least depending on your origin. The mage origin in Origins meets a sloth demon in their harrowing. And this sloth demon presents itself as a barascarn, which is basically like a blighted bear. And then one thing that is special about sloth demons, which we were just touching on, is that we do see them in a lot of different forms. They can change their appearance based on what they want to be or how they want to deceive you. Like most of the other demons don't do this. Pride demons are just pride demons. Despair and rage demons, they're just who they are. The only other one that really changes their appearance is the desire demon to appear to be what is most desirable to you but that's only changing like one facet of its appearance to be what's desirable to you whereas the sloth demon is changing its appearance entirely not just like oh if you like brown hair more than blonde hair I'll change my hair color really quickly do you get what I'm saying yeah I do so another thing that's important to to mention about Demons in general, but especially sloth demons, because I think it's easy for us to misunderstand what a sloth demon is. A sloth demon is not a demon that's lazy, even though we might think of, okay, well, a demon that's named sloth would be lazy. That's not actually the case. Sloth demons in particular are not necessarily filled with sloth themselves, because if they were indeed just sloth all the time why would they even leave the fade in the first place instead they're named sloth demons because they feed upon that emotion within their victims so we can think about another time when we meet a sloth demon in dragon age origins in the brazilian forest you happen upon a little campsite Everyone says, oh, this looks like a good place to rest. Let's, let's take a nap. Let's lay down really quickly. Let's chill. And then what happens? You get attacked by a demon. By a demon, by a sloth demon. 
So it's important to note that sloth demons are not just lazy demons. They're demons that attack that emotion, that want of being slothful, being lazy inside of you. And particularly, I think they're successful with warriors, gray wardens, people who are freaking tired because they're doing stuff all the time. Yeah, definitely. Which I feel like most of Thetis is just tired the whole time. No, that's fair. That's fair. I mean, I'm tired all the time, so I get it. I'm not fighting, but I get it. <laughs> um, so before I wrap up sloth demons, I brought a quote from the sloth demon codex. This is what it says. The truth is that demons of sloth are named so because this is the portion of the human psyche that they feed upon. Doubt, apathy, entropy, they seek to spread these things. The sloth demon hides in its forms, a master of shapes and disguises, always in the last place you look. And from its hiding place, it spreads its influence. A community afflicted by a demon of sloth could soon become a dilapidated pit where injustices are allowed to pass without comment. And none of the residents could be aware that such a change has even taken place. The sloth demon weakens, tires, tears at the edges of consciousness and would much rather render its victim helpless than engage in a true conflict. Such creatures are best faced only with a great deal of will and only with an eye to piercing their many disguises. Yeah, I mean, this codex, I think exactly of what happens in Broken Circle in Origins. You know, you get into this tower and you're like all ready to this fight with this demon. And he basically just says, nah. And yeah. And, and all of your companions, I mean, they're all hypnotized by their own, basically their own nightmares. And none of them are fighting. None of them. Well, I think Sten is fighting, <laughs> but they're not, it's not, um, None of them really realize, most of them don't realize that it's demons. A few of them do. And that's exactly what the sloth demon wants to do. Right, right. I used to think, I used to think that desire demons were the most frightening because they can capitalize upon your, your innermost thoughts and things that you desire that you don't want the world to know about. But after this episode, I've changed my mind. I think it's sloth demons are the most frightening to me. Because at least with, like, a desire demon, you, like, have a chance to, like, fight back or say no or do anything like that. With a sloth, they're just going to, like, impart you with this feeling of laziness and tiredness until you give in. Yeah, exactly. Um, well, do you have other thoughts about the sloth demon before we move on to hunger? No, I don't. Not really. All right. Well, hunger is short, so we'll talk about it briefly. Um, and the reason why I don't have a lot of information about hunger demons is because they're actually pretty rare. And there's only two that we really meet in the game that are notable. So we meet a hunger demon in Dragon Age 2 in the Deep Roads. And we meet a hunger deep demon in Dragon Age Awakening in the Black Marsh area. Hunger demons are characterized by a compulsion to consume everything they encounter, even and including other demons. They are extremely rare, even in the fate. 
in the real world, like outside of the fade, they are most often encountered when possessing a skeleton or a mage. So when they possess a skeleton, they would be called a fanged skeleton. And if they possess a mage, they're called a hunger abomination. Isn't that interesting? And then the last point I have about hunger demons is that powerful hunger demons, they can take human form and present themselves as humans and you would never know the difference, which technically all demons could do, but hunger demons are exceptionally skilled at this. I have a fun fact. Okay. I thought we if didn't you, do demons. If you make the right choices and right party members, Anders can be the only person to meet both instances of the hunger demon. Oh. I guess that's true, huh? Yeah. Interesting. That is a fun fact. Good job. Yeah. But yeah, I think it's interesting because like abominations, like what they actually look like have kind of fallen out of use since Dragon Age Inquisition. Mm -hmm. uh, they were used a little bit in DA2 and they were really used in Dragon Age Origins and like different emojis, oh. like they really played on like, oh, when a mage is possessed, they take a different form. So you can have a rage abomination, a hunger abomination, any kind of emotion with an abomination. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's something I definitely want them to bring back a little bit. Which abominations basically just kind of, to me, they look like, like, as if a human has a bunch of tumors growing outside of their body instead of inside of their body. That's disgustingly accurate. Sorry. <laughs> it's okay. You don't have to apologize. Yeah. yeah, but that's really all. I, like you said, there's not a lot of information and I don't have a lot of experience with them mm -hmm. other than I've never made the deal with the hunger demon. I haven't either. All right. Well, I think now is a great time for a break. All right. Well, let's get into it. Enchantment? Enchantment! You need me. Ugh. I am yours as always. All right, well, welcome to the mid-break of the show where we talk about all things about the podcast that don't have to do with the lore of the podcast. And so it's now this time that I like to tell you that we have a Patreon. Uh, you can find the link in the episode description. You can join there and basically get all kinds of benefits from our lowest tier, which gives you ad-free episodes or to, you know, our first enchanter tier, which lets you come on the show and there's tiers above first enchanter that give you even more benefits and it's just a great way to support us and we really appreciate it and so now i'm going to read the names of our first patrons who get the honor of having their name read out on every episode and so that is lisa m derek b genesis and zuba yeah and i should add i have two things to add First, we do have a new patron to highlight, and that is Nicholas B., who just subscribed today, actually, um, at the first Enchanter tier. So Nicholas B. will be joining us on um, our August patron episode in just a few weeks, which I'm super excited about to hear his thoughts and um, whatever our topic will be. So Thank you for subscribing and joining our Patreon, Nicholas. And then the second thing I have to say is that 
Another benefit for all of our tiers is that you not only get ad-free access, you get early episodes and you get to vote on the subjects of the patron chats. So like if you're a patron and you really, really, really want the patrons to talk about like the worst villain in all of Dragon Age, you can suggest that as a topic and we'll all vote, vote on it. Um, so that's another benefit to being on our Patreon. I already know your answer. Okay. Well, so let's save it for the Patreon episode. <laughs> Is that the topic? No. Oh. I just came up with that. Oh, well, I'm going to spoil it. Her answer is Lord Seeker Lambert. Ugh, I do hate him. But no, I, 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 mm, I don't know. I go back and forth. But let's continue with the break, please. All right. Also, if you can't support us financially, there are tons of ways to also support us. The first is to like or review us on Apple or Spotify. We really appreciate those ratings. If on Apple you leave us a five-star review, we will read it out on a future episode of the show. We do not have a new review to read today. Um, And so the last thing that I want to tell you about is our Discord. We just reached 100 members today. We're loving this community. And if you want to come and chat with us and hang out with us and talk to us about Dragon Age or Star Wars or Assassin's Creed or anything else video game related, that's the place to do it. It is the place to hang out with us and get news about our podcast first. And you can come see my Dragon Age Sims. Yes, She Cup has Dragon Age Sims households, both for Inquisition and Origins. I'm assuming Dragon Age 2 is next on the list. Eventually, yeah. Yeah, and I, though I feel like Dragon Age 2 group might be too chaotic of a group for a, friend, for a Sims household. Um, the number one rule of Sims is that too much chaos doesn't exist. That's true. Um, But yeah, you can join that Discord. The link is in the episode description. If you're looking for more podcasts, more video game podcasts, you can join the Robots Radio Discord. You can hop on that Discord. You can find us there. You can find a bunch of podcasts that are awesome about video games, whether they're part of the Robots Radio Network or also part of the Rocket Club, which this podcast is a part of. And we're just really excited about both of those communities. They're great places to hang out and talk about video games and their lore and all kinds of things. So yeah, other than that, I don't think I have anything else for the mid-break. Yeah, I think you covered it all, so let's get back to it. Yeah. Well, that was uh, Orlesian. Dareth Shiran. You fear barbarians will swoop down upon you. Yes, swooping is bad. Okay, so let's move on to desire demons. So desire demons, and I wrote this in the notes, but I, th- I, like I said, I think I changed my mind. I wrote that desire demons are probably the most dangerous of all the demons. Um, but my reasoning is that that's the reason why is because they are so much more intelligent than rage and hunger demons too. And they're more ambitious than sloth demons. So while they're not necessarily more intelligent or more powerful than a pride demon, they are perhaps more cunning and they're definitely the most willing of all demons to engage in negotiations, deals, and dialogue. And so because of that, they're also the most skilled at possession. There are lots of desire demons who possess 
And you wouldn't even know that that person is being possessed by a demon. So because of this, because they're master manipulators and great at possessing and all of that, they are very notable. Like their number one achievement is to use your own emotions and your deepest yearnings against you. And like we talked about last week, demons know your thoughts, like they can, they can read your mind. So if you encounter a desire demon and you start thinking, oh crap, I don't want them to know that I actually deep down desire this thing, they automatically know it. You're screwed. And so to me, that's what makes them so fearsome. When we talk about desired demons, I think there are a couple things that come to the forefront. Number one, their depiction in Dragon Age Origins and Dragon Age 2 is a very sexualized demon, um, especially a female demon. She has very large breasts that are like not covered at all um, and horns and kind of like the way they move is very sexualized as well. And this doesn't appear in Dragon Age Inquisition. So, so I, um, Austin, wanted to get your thoughts on this while we're talking about desire demons. What are your thoughts about the change, if there, if you can really call it a change? Well, I think it's mainly just because that kind of, to me, the change is just like broadening our understanding of desire demons, that like a desire demon is going to look differently for every person, de- depending on what the deepest part of their desire is. And like, there's no denying that sexual desire is a motivating factor for a lot of people. Like, not all people, but a lot of people. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I guess to me that, like, makes sense. And I don't really hurt by the change because, like, if video games can be less known for, like, over-sexualizing a woman's body, I think that's a good thing. I don't disagree. My thing about it is that I think it makes more sense for the lore. Because in the older version, the sexualized version, it's very, very easy to equate a desire demon with sexual desire, with lust only. But in reality, that's not the only thing that desire demons are desiring. And so for me, that change reflects the lore in a more accurate way. And I I know we haven't seen a lot of other desire demons. We've really only seen one in Inquisition. So we can't say for certain whether this is an actual change that they've explicitly made or not. But I do think if this is a permanent thing, it does reflect the lore better because desire demons, like I said, they're not just using your sexual desire. They are also capable of and often do use your desire for things like money and beauty and intelligence and power and status and all of these things, love and wisdom. And like, there's a Templar in origins who just wants to have a family. Like, These are basic wants and desires too, not just the sexualized version of it. So I think that that change really reflects the lore in a more accurate manner. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. I would, this just came up, but like, so there are demons that aren't categorized by this kind of hierarchy, which that we meet, which are obviously like terror, fear demons, envy demons, and despair demons. Yeah. But I was just kind of like thinking about it because I thought I was like, well, you know, envy is just kind of like a really souped up desire demon. Kind of. Yeah. And like envy, like 
desire and envy are kind of like cousin emotions to each other. Mm-hmm. To envy being the point of like you desire something so much that you are now have negative emotions to other people who have it. Yeah, I think that's a fair response. And we'll talk about envy a little bit later, but my response will be the reason why I think they're not reflected is because this hierarchy is so old. Like it came up in the towers age, which I can't remember the exact year that is, but it it was a while ago. So I think I want to say it was like four, maybe the 400s of Dragon Age, but I'm not entirely sure, maybe even earlier than that. So this is a very old scale, this hierarchy thing. So there may have been types and variations of demons that they just didn't know about at that time. Yeah, I think that's probably also true, which makes it a very real kind of thing, makes it feel like it's something that could exist in our world. But yeah, but I was just seeing that and I was just trying to like, you know, you could say that fear is kind of a form of sloth, like fear and sloth could feed into each other. Fear is something that probably a sloth could exploit to make you tired and lazy. Yeah, no, I agree with that too. Um, So I was just thinking about that. But again, we won't know until someone says, hey, this is how they work. Right, exactly. So just to get back to Desire Demons a little bit, um, they're also master manipulators and they're great at disguises, just like sloth demons. Um, They often disguise themselves and alter your environment to make you forget that you're even interacting with a demon. And then um, as a result, many people who become their prey, they just really don't even realize it, Um, especially if like you're not a magic user and you don't have any experience with that, they're so skilled at this manipulation that you may not even realize you're interacting with a demon. Also, wild desire demons, they do and can like resort to outright mind control. Mostly, most often, they seem to take greater pleasure in a more subtle deception. They, they don't want to gravitate automatically to just the, the overpowering control. They want that challenge of tricking you, which I think is interesting. And then my last point about desire demons is that I think that they are the most common demon. We have met so many desire demons throughout the the first two games. And we also meet one in Inquisition as well. They're just everywhere. Where do we meet this desire demon in Inquisition? I'm having a hard time remembering. It's Imshale. Oh, he's a desire demon? Yes. Oh, I didn't know that. Well, we'll get into it later. Yeah. Well, not later, like in a minute. We meet them in so many different aspects, like even in Shale's recruitment mission, like the demon that's haunting that child is a desire demon. Yes. Which it's like the child's desire for a friend is what it manipulates. Yeah. And that's a great example of like, that's a non-sexual desire. Mm-hmm. and you know there's the templar with the family and then there's the desire demon in um the broken circle quest and there's they're just all over the place to go back to your statement desire demons might not be the most dangerous but i would often say they're probably the most insidious i definitely see that what other kind of evil would it be to like just prey on a child's desire for a friend? I know that's like the most innocent thing ever, like a kid who wants a friend and to distort that is pure evil to me. Mm-hmm. Speaking um, of pure evil. 
You want to move to our side character? Yeah. Yeah. So today's side character is M. Shale, who is a character in Inquisition and the Masked Empire. So if you have not read the Masked Empire, we will talk about some major plot points of that book. So if you're okay with being spoiled, please feel free to listen to the rest of the episode. If you don't want to be spoiled, just go ahead and turn it off now. So Imshale is a multifaceted character, I will say. He is, I think Michelle de Chavon that you meet in the Empress calls him a desire demon, like in front of his face. He tells you that he's a desire demon and then you can call him a desire demon. And Imshale's retort is that he prefers to consider himself a choice spirit. So depending on whose opinion you listen to, you can kind of choose whether he is a spirit of choice or a demon of desire. I believe that he is a desire demon and that his his whole, oh, I'm a spirit of choice is a further way to manipulate you. So the first thing to know, if you've listened to last week's episode, you will know that Inshale is not just a regular old desire demon. He is not just a regular demon from the fade. In fact, he is very ancient. He is one of the first demons that have ev- that had ever come into contact with human mages. And because of this, he is part of that group of four demons that we know as the Forbidden Ones. We talked about the Forbidden Ones last week, but just to refresh your memory, they are a group of four unique and extremely powerful ancient demons. It's said that they are older than both Tevinter and the Darkspawn themselves. They are also rumored to have taught the Tevinter Magisters of old how to use blood magic, and they might even possibly have a link to the Forgotten Ones, the ancient elven bad pantheon, or may even be the Forgotten Ones themselves. So we have met three of the four Forbidden Ones in DAO. We met Gax Kang, who we talked about in last week's episode. In DA2, we meet Zebenkek. And in DAI, we meet Imshale, which leads me to believe that in DAD, we could meet the Formless One. So back to Imshale. Imshale is summoned in 940 Dragon by the Keeper of the Dalish Clan, Virnan. He is summoned because the Keeper wants information about unlocking the Illuvians. Imshale doesn't really give him, give them much information at all. But later, Imshale uses blood magic when interacting with Empress Selene's champion at that time, who is Michelle de Chavon. Through a very long, confusing series of events, Imshale convinces Michelle that breaking the binding circle that Imshale is in will send Imshale back to the fade. In reality, Breaking the circle of binding just released Imshale into the world as a free demon. Imshale then massacres the almost entire Dalish clan that summoned him, except for one elven mage who he then possesses in order to get revenge on Michelle. 
this is why Michel has vowed to pursue Michel for the rest of his life because he wants to atone for his actions of releasing Michel. And even though he was under duress and convinced by magic that of something that was not true, he still finds it to be his responsibility. And another part of it is that Michel is also a half-elf. That's not told to you in Inquisition, but it is in the Masked Empire. So I'm sure that he also has some guilt about basically having this whole elven clan be massacred by the demon that he set free. So Imshale then goes on after the Masked Empire to go free. He gets to the Empreze and we meet him there in Inquisition. And Michelle is still pursuing Imshale. We meet both Imshale and Michelle in the Empreze Dulion. At this point in time, their identities, their stories are very much bound to one another. And apparently we can defeat Imshale in Dragon Age Inquisition. When we do meet him, he has allied with Corypheus's forces and is helping cultivate Red Lyrium and doing a lot of Red Lyrium experiments, especially on giants. And he also continues to dismiss Michelle as no threat whatsoever. Imshale also attempts to negotiate with the Inquisitor, offering the Inquisitor power, riches, or virgins. If the Inquisitor accepts any kind of deal, Imshale murders Michelle, which does prevent him from being recruited into the Inquisition. It's also funny if you do like accept this deal you and you, if you say virgins, um, Imshale basically says something like, wow, nobody's ever picked that offer. They're kind of hard to come by. It looks like you already have one referring to if Cole is in your party. Oh my God. Which is funny. So that's a little bit about Imshale's story. That's not everything, but there's a couple things that I think are very interesting about this. Number one, that Imshale, a member of the Forbidden Ones, would ally themselves with Corypheus is interesting to me. Number two, I don't know if our defeat of Imshale in Inquisition is actually Imshale dying. Because in Origins, when you defeat Gax Kang, he doesn't actually die, he just goes back to the Fade. Yeah, I've been kind of going through all the situations where we meet these Forbidden Ones in the game. And every single one, we, every single one of these demons has had some kind of binding thing broken before we encounter them. Yes. Uh, Gax King is obviously like bound and you unbound him in the quest. Hence the name of the quest. And with uh, Zebenkek, you go and like release all these demons on these tomes and then you encounter Zebenkek. And then Michelle releases Imshale. And so it makes me think that like maybe part of the Taventer Magister's power was in the fact that they had these demons bound. That truly is a good thought. Um, I don't know if we'll ever know the answer to that, but it's definitely a possibility in my mind. Right. And then the other thing that jumps out to me is like this Dalish clan leader, I, 
he can't be just asking about the Alluvians on his own accord. No, I think in the book, I think in the book, he is like working with Solas. I can't remember because it's been a while since I've read it, but um, also like what an idiot. Mm-hmm. what an idiot like seriously dude but like the one thing that doesn't kind of track with the forbidden ones being the forgotten ones is that according to dalish thor and according to solace himself he locked away the forgotten ones like in the void and this is true and so my other thing about it is like if solace if they are the same solace would know and why would he send someone to deal with them to figure out information? That's a good point. That's a good point. I think for me, the argument against that would be that they don't just come into the world. They don't just leave the fade. And at least in M. Shell's case, he is summoned directly. So we don't know like, if a summoning can, can break whatever lock Solus put them under, you know? Right, but when the then why? How come all the Dalish prayers haven't? Well, I guess Mythal is in the world, but um, why haven't they released the Evanuris? I think a prayer and a summoning are two completely different things. I guess that's true, and I guess a Dalish elf would never think to summon one of their gods. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. Um, I do think that that's a good plot hole to bring up. But I I mean, the more I dig into these formless ones, regardless of if if they are, if they have a connection to the forgotten ones or not, I really feel like they are going to have some role in the next game. Yeah, maybe. And like, maybe I think it's either the next game or it's going to be a final game that kind of does that. And we're going to unbound and release the formless one in DAD and then... And then we have to fix it. Yeah. Um, yeah. But I wonder each of the like forbidden ones, you could probably ascribe a certain demon type to each of them. Like M. Shell being Desire. I'd probably give Gax Kang like Rage or something like that. Zebin Kinek, probably Pride, maybe. Maybe Zebin Kek is who I'd give Rage to and then Sloth to Gax Kang. And then the foremost one would be a Pride. Yeah, pride, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's possible. Or maybe Zevin Keck is hunger. Oh, yeah. Well, um, more thoughts about M. Shale specifically? I have done both choices of taking his deal and <gasps> killing you him. You killed me, Shell? You well, killed know, me, Shell? I didn't know who he was. And to be fair, it is possible to encounter Ishmael without ever talking to Michelle. Okay, fair. But Look at Michelle. Like, don't you want to save his pretty face? I mean, when I see him now, yeah. But like, you can run straight through the quest and never encounter Michelle. I mean, it's kind of hard to miss him. He's standing right there where you have to go. Well, you know, you're talking to the king of missing things. (sighs) Don't I know it? (laughs) So yeah, but I think that his... His line that intrigues me the most is that I prefer to be a spirit of choice, Mm -hmm. which implies this kind of brings home this like relationship between demons or just corrupted versions of spirits. Um, Yeah. He strikes me as like what I picture when I think of a demon, something that's offering you an olive branch, but 
it's actually like a rose branch with thorns on it. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Very much a master of deception. Yeah. And that's what I think when I think of like a demon and someone says, oh, the demons are like plaguing us or like, oh, this story is about demons. I think about like that. That's what I think about someone who is going to manipulate you, who is going to give you something that you think is going to be good. But and then do you have any final thoughts about Imshale or about anything else we've talked about today? I do not. That's all I got. All right. Well, then thank you for listening to the Dragon Age Lorecast and we'll see you next week. Thanks for listening to the Dragon Age Lorecast. As always, you can find us on Twitter at DA Lorecast. If you have any lore questions, topics to unpack, or side character suggestions, email them to us at dalorecast at gmail.com. The Dragon Age Lorecast is a part of the Robots Radio Rocket Club. You can join the Robots Radio Network Discord by clicking the link in our episode description. If you enjoyed our show, we'd love it if you'd subscribe and give us a review. See you next time. Hi, welcome to Three Count Thoughts. Let me introduce the crew real quick. Hi, I'm Maverick Stone. I'm Romer. And I'm Jaxus. Join us as we talk all things wrestling. Each week, we'll take a topic from the wrestling world, knock it around a bit, and then go over the week in wrestling from a strictly fan perspective. We can be found on all major podcast catchers. We can also be found at 3 Count Thoughts on both YouTube and Twitter. Or you can send us an email using 3CountThoughts at gmail.com. Okay, are you ready? Ring the bell.